Welcome to part two of this podcast episode titled 20 Years of Patient Safety, where we are drawing on the content from the June 2022 print edition of the Clinical Communicate. I am Associate Professor Nicola Cunningham, the Editor-in-Chief of this series. The June 2022 edition was a very special anniversary edition for us. It was an extended edition showcasing a collection of expert commentaries about patient safety, where we featured some of the most remarkable experts from the fields of medicine, law, ethics and clinical governance. They all have in common a strong commitment to improving patient safety with extensive careers that have seen many challenges and changes take place in this incredibly complex area of work, and they have very generously shared their insights with us. In part two of this three-part podcast episode, we hear from three more experts in patient safety. Emeritus Professor Ron Patterson, who talks about learning from inquiries and experience. Distinguished Laureate Professor Nicholas Talley and Miss Angela McGarry, who share their thoughts on what the COVID-19 pandemic teaches us about patient safety. And New South Wales Deputy State Coroner Harriet Graham, who offers her perspective on the pandemic. Each of these experts draw from their vast experience in the global health and legal systems within which they work that monitor and investigate harm to patients, and they offer their wisdom on what needs to be done as we emerge from the first few years of our collective experience of the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's now listen to Luke Ward narrate part two of this three-part episode. Learning from inquiries and experience from Emeritus Professor Ron Patterson. If we are serious about patient safety, we need to continuously review incidents and feedback from patients and families. US surgeon and writer Atul Gawande says that although we traditionally associate significant improvements in healthcare with the big breakthroughs in science, such as transplant surgery and gene therapies, much the biggest gains are likely to come from the close attention to the detail of failure. We also need to learn from external inquiries, such as reports from complaints commissioners, coroner's inquests and special purpose inquiries, such as the multiple inquiries that followed revelations in 2017 of serious care failures at Oakden Older Persons Mental Health Service in Adelaide and the recent Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety. The case studies shared in the clinical communique and its companions, the residential aged care communique and the future leaders communique, are an excellent vehicle for in-depth analysis of the findings of one type of inquiry, coroner's investigations, with commentary from clinical experts on the lessons to be learnt. The issues are familiar to me as a former New Zealand Health and Disability Commissioner, over the decade from 2000 to 2010, I investigated hundreds of complaints from or on behalf of patients harmed by substandard care in general practice, rest homes and hospitals. I undertook several major own initiative inquiries into systemic problems that harmed multiple patients in public hospitals. Patient safety inquiries consistently identify the same recurring problems. Healthcare below promulgated standards lack of quality monitoring processes, patients, family members and concerned staff being ignored and excluded, whistleblowers being vilified and persistent deficiencies in teamwork, systems and communication. Shortages of staff and demoralised, fatigued staff are often major contributory factors. As Joanne Travaglia writes, our analysis of multiple inquiries teaches us lessons from history that need to be heeded. 
Those who do not learn the lessons are compelled to repeat them at great cost to patients. For good reason, Ian Kennedy entitled his report of the public inquiry into children's heart surgery at the Bristol Royal Infirmary, Learning from Bristol. The lessons are especially important for frail, elderly, cognitively impaired residents in aged care facilities and for elderly patients in hospital with an acute problem compounded by multiple comorbidities, functional impairment and communication difficulties. The damning 2018 inquiry report into the treatment of elderly patients at Gosport War Memorial Hospital in England found that the lives of over 450 patients were shortened when opioid medication was prescribed and administered without appropriate clinical justification. Alarms raised by nurses and families went unheeded. In a grim review of the report, Kieran Walsh warned that lethal failures in care will happen again unless there are effective systems of clinical governance and a culture in medicine and the healthcare professions that enables staff, patients and relatives to speak up when they have concerns, knowing they will be listened to sympathetically and will not face adverse consequences as a result. Equally, it is important to share the lessons from the majority of cases when patients and residents received good clinical care and to highlight what they and their families say makes for great care. The former emphasis is sometimes called the safety to paradigm. Nicola Cunningham notes that such an approach can be applied to coronial investigations into healthcare-related deaths with coroners addressing both positive and negative factors in each case. During my time as New Zealand Commissioner, recognising that most patients receive very good care, we advertised for patients and families to write in with examples of great care. We got an excellent response and published a booklet, The Art of Great Care. There are similar examples from Australia, notably Sarah Russell's Living Well in an Aged Care Home, 2017. It educates and encourages staff to identify the particulars of excellent care. Aspects of our response to the COVID-19 pandemic have highlighted the disconnect between safety and care. The Royal Commission's special report on aged care and COVID-19 from 2020 highlighted the cruelty of isolating elderly residents from the comfort and support of family and friends. As I witnessed during my mother's final year of life in a South Auckland private hospital and rest home, during prolonged lockdowns, residents with dementia suffered visible decline in their physical and mental health because of an excessive, disproportionate emphasis on safety. Instead of the familiar faces of their loved ones, they saw only masked staff. Many residents lost their bearings and despaired for the future. Aged residential care facilities are homes. The dignity of residents should be supported at all times and their independence too, so far as possible. Safety from falls and other avoidable harms needs to be balanced with common sense and respect for autonomy. Much easier when there is a trusting relationship with the resident and family. It's important to nourish the body and the soul with good food, massage, art, dance and song. People benefit from activities and jobs to do. Residents need to be supported by staff who care. They may not remember what they are told, but they will remember how staff made them feel. The inevitable inquiries into the lessons of providing care during the COVID-19 pandemic must weigh what matters most to elderly patients in hospital and aged care homes. Personal narratives also teach valuable lessons. 
People need care and compassion, not just meds and cares. Families need information and encouragement as they navigate unfamiliar territory. A resident spirit, loving family, caring staff and sensitive use of medication can bring a resident back from distress and disorientation. The quality of residents' lives, as well as their clinical care, matters. We can be buoyed by hope and possibility in reflecting on experiences of great care. About Emeritus Professor Ron Patterson. Ron holds law degrees from Auckland and Oxford universities, as well as Fulbright and Harkness fellowships in biomedical ethics and health policy. Ron lectured at the University of Auckland Faculty of Law from 1986 to 1999 and Professor of Law since 2010. He is a distinguished visiting fellow at the Melbourne Law School. Ron was a Deputy Director, General of Health from 1999 to 2000, Health and Disability Commissioner from 2000 to 2010, Chair of the Banking Ombudsman Scheme from 2010 to 2013, and Parliamentary Ombudsman from 2013 to 2016. He is a Chair of the New Zealand Centre for Human Rights Law, Policy and Practice. He is the author of The Good Doctor, What Patients Want, from 2012, and co-editor of Skeg and Patterson, Health Law in New Zealand, from 2015. His research interests include complaint resolution, inquiries, healthcare quality and the regulation of professions. Ron has led several major policy advisory reviews in New Zealand, including the review of the Veterans Support Act from 2018 and the Government Inquiry into Mental Health and Addiction from 2018. Major reviews undertaken in Australia include the review of the use of chaperones to protect patients in Australia from 2017 and the review of national aged care quality regulatory processes from 2017. Ron has trained as a mediator with leading US programs in Colorado in 2008 and at Harvard in 2015 and is admitted as a barrister and solicitor of the High Court of New Zealand. Ron was honoured with an ONZM for services to health in 2011. What does the COVID-19 pandemic teach us about patient safety? From Distinguished Laureate Professor Nicholas Tali and Ms Angela McGarry. As pandemics throughout history have shown, humanity is vulnerable to threats to public health when it is weak or underprepared, more so when it is naive to the cunning. The SARS-CoV-2 virus is an emerging infectious disease of probable zoonotic origin, causing severe respiratory illness in rapid human-to-human -human transmission and with capacity for mutation. This was the cunning threat humanity was unprepared for, despite the early warning signals of the rise of EIDs globally over the past 20 years, and for which, as a global society, we have shown a lack of capacity to prevent and control. The investment in quality improvement and patient safety since the 1999 report by the Institute of Medicine, To Err is Human, has been significant. It broke the silence on medical errors and their consequence, correctly identifying that good people work in bad systems. Since that time, the advances in patient safety have focused on building strong connections between education, quality improvement and clinical practice, but how well have we integrated health equity into patient safety? The COVID-19 pandemic has showcased the inequities that arise from a lack of connectedness between these metrics within a poorly designed process. 
Indeed, Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, Director and General of the World Health Organization, correctly stated in an opinion piece in September 2021 that the COVID-19 pandemic is a lesson in humility for the world. Health systems were underprepared and there was a high degree of inequity in access to services, diagnostics, equipment, therapeutics and subsequently vaccines in resource-rich and low-to-middle-income countries across the globe. This may have come about from a disconnect between local, national and international systems of governance, communication and control. For example, under the international health regulations from 2005, of which 196 countries and territories have signed, each has an obligation to detect, assess, report and respond to public health threats in a structured process. However, while SARS-CoV-2, as it became defined, was detected by an existing surveillance system, global reaction and response was slow. The subsequent spread across borders occurred due to complacency, poor communication and global leadership. Many unnecessary deaths have occurred from COVID-19 due to inequities in access to basic supplies such as oxygen and other tools because of fragile health systems. When combined with a lack of access to quality health care and protection of patient safety on a local, national and global stage, underpreparedness has had global economic and societal implications that will take many years to recover from. Humiliating indeed. In many ways, humanity deserves a form of coronial investigation into the pandemic to learn from the lessons and undertake a system reset which has the patient and those who provide the care at its core. What we should be looking for is a global treaty which commits UN member states to share data, information, resources, knowledge and tools swiftly. We are at the natural disaster level dealing with COVID-19 and must improve governance to strengthen global, regional and national health systems, build capacity and make them ready to respond rapidly when threats emerge. This pandemic can be considered a call to action, as while it will eventually shift to endemicity, the concerted efforts by government to control the disease and the enormous level of investment in new vaccines must be reflected upon. Any period of calm must be seen as an opportunity to prepare, foster trust and accountability, and practice responsiveness to address any future pathogens of pandemic potential. The cunning nature of the SARS-CoV-2 virus has forced global leaders to realise that we must work together in a One Health approach that addresses the interface between environmental, animal and human health. About Distinguished Laureate Professor Nicholas Tali, AC. Nicholas is the Editor-in-Chief of the Medical Journal of Australia, a Senior Staff Specialist and Gastroenterologist at John Hunter Hospital, Newcastle, Australia, and holds professional appointments at the University of Newcastle, Australia, Mayo Clinic, Rochester, USA, University of North Carolina, USA, and the Karolinska Institute at Stockholm, Sweden. He is a fellow of the Royal Australasian College of Physicians and past president from 2014 to 2016, the Royal College of Physicians, both London and Edinburgh, the American College of Physicians, the American College of Gastroenterology and the American Gastroenterological Association. He is an NHMRC Leadership Fellow and Chief Investigator for the NHMRC Centre for Research Excellence in Digestive Health. 
He previously held an appointment as Pro Vice-Chancellor and Dean of the Faculty of Health and Medicine at the University of Newcastle from 2010 to 2015 and was Pro Vice-Chancellor Global Research from 2016 to 2019. Nicholas has published over 1,000 papers in the peer-reviewed literature and is considered one of the world's most influential clinician researchers. In June 2014, he was inaugurated as one of the first 15 fellows of the Australian Academy of Health and Medical Sciences. On Australia Day in 2018, Nicholas was honoured with the Companion of the Order of Australia for eminent service to medical research and to education in the field of gastroenterology and epidemiology as an academic, author and administrator at the national and international level and to health and scientific associations. About Miss Angela McGarry. Angela is a member of BMJ Quality Improvement Movement. Angela started her career in nursing, specialised in acute care and renal dialysis at RPAH Sydney and holds a degree in health administration and public policy. Angela is a former CEO, Council of Presidents of Medical Colleagues and continues her academic studies in a Master of Pandemic Preparedness at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. A Coroner's Perspective on the Pandemic from Deputy State Coroner Harriet Graham. This morning I had a barking dog in court. Later, a legal practitioner, apparently also waiting on hold for customer service, sang along to the Muzak as he tapped his pen, mute off. There have been bathroom renovations, inevitable streaming glitches, and I once saw a cat peeping out from the covers of a young solicitor's unmade bed. Such are the joys of the modern courtroom. COVID-19 has forced courts to grapple with the technology and remote access like never before, and overall, it has been a good thing. While sharing a room can have enormous therapeutic value during the hearing of evidence in an inquest, there is little doubt that much of the administrative work we do is more efficiently completed in a virtual courtroom without practitioners wasting time travelling and waiting in court foyers. It is a very small system improvement that has come out of the difficulties, grief and death caused by the pandemic. In February 2020, watching what was already occurring overseas, the New South Wales Coroner's Court and New South Wales Department of Forensic Medicine prepared for the possibility that we could soon be overwhelmed by the number of deaths we were about to see, with vaccination still a distant dream. Temporary refrigeration facilities were quickly assembled to support existing mortuary facilities, processes were streamlined and new protocols put in place. Then we waited, watching the daily press conference from the sidelines, while health professionals of all sorts swung into action and commenced what for many continues to be the most difficult period of their professional career. Fast forward a couple of years, and I am pleased to say that while too many have died, we did not need the extra mortuary facilities. Most COVID-19 deaths in New South Wales are not reported to the coroner, but are properly certified by medical practitioners in the usual way. No COVID-19 deaths have yet gone to inquest in New South Wales, although an inquest into deaths at New March House aged care facility is listed for later this year. The Ruby Princess inquest remains to be listed. Nevertheless, as coroners, 
Always interested in the death prevention function of our role, we have been keen to learn what we can from the sidelines, watching with great admiration the work of medical, nursing and other healthcare staff. For a coroner to hear every day in the media that the proper political response to a health crisis is to follow the best available health advice is sweet indeed. While advice can be contested and evidence disputed, the emphasis on listening to the experts has been rewarded. It informed an approach that slowed the spread of COVID-19 in this country until we could commence and then increase vaccination. This approach undoubtedly saved many lives. It corresponds to how an inquest should be informed. Find the best experts you can and listen to them. Of course, the best experts told us much more than wear a mask and get vaccinated. We were told that health education and care is best delivered from within communities. It's hardly a revelation. The need to fund and better resource Indigenous health providers and ensure cultural competency in health messaging has, for example, been an ongoing issue for coroners for many years. Nevertheless, COVID-19 has brought back into focus what we already know, that disadvantaged communities will always be disproportionately affected and so require additional support. As the months wore on, we watched as medical experts and health executives mostly managed to work cooperatively, notwithstanding the real barriers created by our state and federal structures. I am sure the communication systems developed will continue to be useful. It was also refreshing to see that the need for access to free testing, increased income support for those in need, and attention to the risks caused by social isolation were identified as health strategies and largely supported by the general population. There have been many more specific lessons along the way. Perhaps the most obvious and life-saving change has been the increased use of telehealth and remote prescribing and its capacity to help provide service to rural and regional New South Wales. An in-person attendance may be best practice, but a virtual doctor or specialist is certainly better than none at all. The pandemic finally created an urgency to develop greater medical use of available platforms for consulting patients at all levels of care. Despite what is sometimes now reported in the media, the pandemic is not over. We need to keep listening and implementing the best health advice. On a practical note, it will be interesting to follow the rate of influenza transmission this year. One hopes that a population that has learned to get vaccinated, wear a mask, wash their hands and sneeze into their elbow might well be rewarded by an ongoing reduction in flu deaths. Time will tell. As coroners, we have not been at the forefront of the pandemic, but we have watched medical, nursing and allied care staff work tirelessly and we express our profound thanks. The stress on the health system, whether in a crowded emergency department or a locked down aged care unit, has been extreme at times and is of course ongoing. One can only hope that public interest in these issues translates into ongoing action at all levels of our community. Sound health policy must be prioritised in any government's agenda. That would certainly be a valuable and lasting lesson arising from these difficult years. About Deputy State Coroner Harriet Graham. Harriet has been New South Wales Deputy State Coroner since 2015. Prior to that, she worked as a local court magistrate, barrister, solicitor and law lecturer. Her first legal role was as a solicitor at Redfern Legal Centre. As a coroner, Harriet has a particular interest in examining ways to reduce drug-related deaths. 
She has conducted inquests into opiate deaths and deaths at New South Wales music festivals, both resulting in recommendations to government. More recently, she has examined how harm reduction principles are applicable to performance and image-enhancing drugs arising from the death of a bodybuilder. Harriet retains a keen interest in social justice. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast episode, part two of 20 Years of Patient Safety. Links to parts one and three can be found at our website, www.thecommunicase.com. Remember, the online print versions are also available at our website with hyperlinks and a list of resources and any references that our case summary authors and our experts have recommended. I'm Nicola Cunningham. Thanks for listening.